Welcome to Cat Talk Radio with your host, Molly DeVos. Molly is a cat expert and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her expertise and her guests, you'll learn how to interpret and control behavior issues with your cat, how to entertain and converse with them, and keep up on the latest feline news around the world. Now, here is Molly DeVos. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cat Talk Radio. I'm your host, Molly DeVos, and today I'm excited to welcome a guest to the show. Her name is Anita Kelsey. And she's the author of a book titled, Let's Talk About Cats. And that's what we're going to do today. So welcome, Anita. Thank you so much. This is a really different book about feline behavior because you cover information about cat behavior in the book and a lot about cat care. It's really mostly a, a wonderful cat care book interwoven with cat behavior. But what's really different about it is all of the industry experts that you interview, like you, my buddy Jackson Galaxy and Dr. Jennifer Conrad from the Paw Project and an animal communicator, one of the best animal communicators out there, Penelope Smith. So share with us, what were your favorite interviews? Oh my God. Do you know what? I have? I've got so many of them. I mean, I think each one just brought a different aspect of cat behavior and um, relationships with our cats. So um, I can't really say which one was my favorite, to be honest. I think they all are amazing and I, and I actually learned from all of them. So I'm honored that they all said that they would be in the book. Yeah. And there were 15. Is that how many people you interviewed? Yeah. And um, well, there was 15 experts and then Mohammed Ala Aljil, who, um, who was, uh, I mean, initially I had to take his chapter out of the book because he doesn't necessarily answer a specific question, but I thought his interview was so special that I put it in as an added bonus at the end of the book. So he's chapter 16. It really was. And let's talk about that because he's the, the cat man of Aleppo. Some of yes. our listeners may have, have heard about him. And for those who haven't, um, tell everybody about him and what he does. Yeah, so he rescued, um, so basically um, the war in Syria, he was caught in the middle of the war in Syria and um, he decided that he, well, he started rescuing humans um, as part of the White Helmet Society. So he would go out as part of an um, volunteer ambulance crew and start rescuing um, humans that were trapped in buildings that had come down during the war. And then he suddenly realised that a lot of people that were escaping the war were leaving their their pets behind. And so there was a lot of um, stray cats on the street, a lot of distressed cats on the street and so he decided to stay behind and help them yeah it's amazing yeah. and he's built a sanctuary right yes he built a sanctuary in Aleppo I mean the first sanctuary was bombed um and quite a few cats and some dogs were killed in that sanctuary and then he managed to um escape with his life and then he built a, sa- a sanctuary another sanctuary with the help of um volunteers and donations all around the world that's amazing that yeah. that that was a special chapter. I I really. Oh, it was amazing. I mean, I just think that, I mean, I read an interview with him um, in the New York Times. I think it was either the New York Times or the, or the Telegraph um, about his work with the White Helmets. And that's when I suddenly became interested in him because I was seeing his name all over the place connected to cats. So I just thought, what an amazing person to interview. Yeah, yeah, that was very inspiring. And you mentioned you learned a lot of of new things from the interviews. What does anything stand out that you know? Because you've been in cat behavior for a, for a long time, and and you get to a point where we're always learning. Of course, every every cat we meet seems to teach us something new. But was there 
what in particular stood out that you you went aha knew from um, your interviews? I think it was just a way of looking at different things. I mean, I wanted kind of verification from different experts. And so I knew kind of the questions to ask as well. Um, but I think it was really interesting. I mean, I know nothing about communicating with um, cats telepathically. So it was amazing um, to talk to Penelope because it's just an area that I know nothing about. And it's so different f um, from our work because um, they're communicating telepathically and I don't necessarily do that. Oh, I would call out work that. Um, and so that was really, really interesting to hear how she works and how she clears her mind and she doesn't put any labels or expectations on. So that was fascinating. Um, mm -hmm. It was fascinating listen, listening about the nutrition as well, um, Pete Coleshaw, um, because he was kind of saying what I agree with um, in terms of cats eating raw or eating meat in general. But it was interesting to see why he felt that. Mm. Um, who else? Um, I kind of I've learned everything. I've learned little bits and pieces from all of the interviews. It was amazing. Yeah, and you and you obviously from your accent, people may be wondering you're you're based in the UK, correct? Yeah, in London. Yes. And and I love the terms in your book. Like um, the British terms are are very adorable. Like Moggy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's just a non-breeded cat. I mean, a lot of American, um, a lot of Americans ask me what that word means. It just means a non-breed of cat. Normally, like a typical street cat would be a moggy. Uh huh. Like we we call dogs mutts here. You know that oh, okay. are that are that are a mix of breeds, but we don't really have a a term for a you know just mixed breed mutt-ish cat. I, I yeah. love moggy. I'll I'll be using that from now yeah. on. <laughs> and I, I wonder. Your wonderful sayings like, you know, um, well, first of all, I noticed a very different aspect there versus here is that clearly a lot of people in the UK let their cats outside, their, their indoor-outdoor cats, where in the United States, most people advocate for keep your cats indoors. And there are yeah. even lots of laws in the US about cats yeah. being inside. But I love yeah. the part that you know, you you say there are multiple things to consider when our mogs go walkies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, there's no like what I wanted to come across in the book is that although I work in behavior, I've found that there's no kind of black and white rule about working with cats. I mean, it just depends on so many different variables. So, um, I mean, there's kind of basic behaviors to be dealing with but then we have to deal with lots of other instincts like territory expectations the human guardians the personality background history so um that's why i didn't really want to write um a how-to book because i know that there's some fantastic books out there so that's why i was just looking to do something different mm -hmm. it is and it is it's a it's an amazing book i really liked your chapter on feeding cats. Um, first of all, you start out with your story, which sounded exactly like my same experience with my first attempts to home make raw rabbit for my cat. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's, not, it's not easy at all. No, it's not <laughs> at, on many levels. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm so glad the commercial market has grown to supply such great fresh frozen yeah. raw food for yeah. cats. You know, yeah, I'm, I, mean, I, I think I mentioned Perform, um, which is the company that I use. I think they're, I don't think that they're based in the US um, as well as the UK, but that's a company that I started to get my food from where it all comes already mixed in containers and sachets. 
Yeah. And here we have uh, primal. Do you, I don't know if primal sells there or not, but primal is a really good um, brand here that sells rabbit and they come in these nice bricks so that you can get a bag, a three pound bag of rabbit bricks. Okay. Added taurine and things like that. Bones, yeah. organs, the whole, the whole ground okay. thing. And actually a little tip, I'd, um, I'm not sure I actually mentioned this in the book, but what I tend to do um, when I get like the big tubs is I actually put the meat in ice cubes because it's a nice portion. So if you kind of feed your cat about five or six times a day, like really small portions, you can just get an ice cubes worth um, and put that on the plate to defrost. So it's a good way of kind of dividing the food up so that it does, doesn't go off so quickly. Yeah. And that's, and that's what, that's what I like about the primal is they, they yeah. come in these little brick things, which are about a nice cube and a half ish tray, which is perfect for oh, okay. feeding multiple times a day, which, yeah, which yeah. I do too. And yeah. then I, I actually buy the fresh ground rabbit. There's a farm here in the United States, up in New Jersey that, that raises rabbits, particularly for pet food. And they'll send you a five pound log of, of fresh ground, you know, whole okay. carcass rabbit, which is yeah. amazing. We have a really good source here. So, and, and I'm just was so glad to see you dedicate so much of the book to nutrition because good nutrition is the foundation of good cat behavior. You know, it's, it's like us when you feel good, you act good, you know? Yeah, correct. And also, I mean, um, nutrition isn't my area of expertise. So that's why it was really good to get somebody in. And of course I got somebody in that, that advocated, um, a meat diet and raw diet because that's what I believe in and I just wanted but but also I wanted him to ask the quest um to answer the questions about kibble as well because all the things that are dotted in the book are things that I come across on my behavior cases and things that clients are constantly asking me or we have a problem in a particular area so I was just focusing on asking him about cleaning cat's teeth with the kibble about too much kibble and it was just really good to get his answer you know answers from an expert it really was. And yeah. and your inclusion of all of the common ingredient terms found in on commercial cat food brands, that that's a really good too. In fact, do you mind if I put that part as a resource on my website, your definitions of terms? Please um feel free to share. I mean, it took me a while to kind of start researching all of that as well, because um, it's really confusing for people when you look at the back of cat food. You don't really understand what all the terminology means. So I just I wondered whether it was going to be boring, but I thought I'm going to put it anyway, because some people would be really interested in that. Yeah, I think it's I think it's good. I always tell people, you know, here's five things to avoid in your your wet cat food ingredients if you're going to feed canned cat food. But I rarely take the time to explain why unless they're really questioning just because it's so in depth. So I will. I'll put that on my website yeah. and of course I'll I'll credit you and and source a, a link to your book so that well, of course that, I mean as you know as well I mean uh, and Jackson also he says this a lot when he's doing behavior cases that if we're working with a cat and we're trying to get particular behaviors we can't just leave free food out all the time and and most of my clients just leave out so much food piled up of biscuits it's just ridiculous I, I just don't even understand who they're feeding a cat or an elephant there's just so much it's and true do you find that? Do you come across that? <laughs> yes, all the time. And, and I know it's convenience. It's like, well, it's yeah. down there and, you know, they can eat and whenever they want. And it 
And it's counterintuitive. It's hard to explain to them that, you know, yes, a cat in the wild will eat 10 to 20 small meals a day. Mm-hmm. And we should be feeding them at least, you know, five or six small meals a day. And they go, well, that's why I leave it down there. They can just go nibble whenever they're hungry. I know. <laughs> I know. And and the whole thing with them, I mean, I see a lot of obese cats. I mean, I mentioned in the book to the point where I've even forgotten really what a normal cat looks like sometimes where when I'm working with a cat in the in a vet situation and the cat comes in, it's just of normal size. Sometimes I have to call the vet in to say, is this cat underweight? I'm a bit worried. And he just comes and says it's a normal size cat because I see so many obese cats. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Every I, I call them carb bodies. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, it's one of the things I cover on every consult I have is nutrition, because I, yeah. I feel like that's, it is so important that a that a cat get good species appropriate food and yeah. 95% of the commercial diets out there are not and uh, a lot like our food. Right? Yeah, I mean, I do cover that. But um if sometimes I get um, clients really against changing the food, so there's not much more I can do but just give some advice, and then I just have to accept, okay, they're really not listening. Um, they want to stick with the dry food for whatever reason. Um, sometimes I come across vegan clients who want to just um, do the biscuits and not not do the meat, and so I give advice, but at the end of the day, you can't force somebody to to do something. You just have to kind of work with what you've got, really. True. And it, and it's, and it is uh, frustrating, especially when you have a cat with, you know, urinary tract infections and repeated crystals in their in yeah. bladder and things like yeah. that. And, and they insist on continuing to feed a, a dry food diet and, and want you to fix their urinating outside the litter box issues. It's, it's yeah. very, very hard to, to deal with those That's cases. That's what I meant by there's so many other considerations, which is why I kind of avoided doing a, a how-to book because there's so many things to consider when you're working with a cat that it's, it's not um, that somebody can just find the advice online and then fit it in with their circumstances. And one of the hardest things is actually just dealing with um, with the humans, with the human guardians, I find. <laughs> It is. It is. <laughs> I, I remember when I, I went to school to get my cat behavior certification and, and we got to that, that semester was a part about um, dealing with the cat guardians. I'm like, wait, wait, <laughs> you mean we have to deal with people? I thought we were going to just get to work with a cat. <laughs> yeah. You've got a, a delightful story in the book about juice and, um, and juice was a, a cat that was bought, brought into a vet uh, to be euthanized for his aggression. And aggression is such a um, a complicated and and difficult behavior case for us to to take. And what I found interesting was the story and and about his triggers for his aggression. Tell everybody a little bit about Juice and what you discovered. Yeah, so um, so Juice had been, so he was a rescue and he'd been to at least three homes before he was finally handed in to the vets. 
And um, it was just the case of nobody understood um, Juice's uh, triggers, so he wasn't really diagnosed properly. He was just a cat that was just looked upon as being difficult. Um, he obviously had a difficult past because I think somewhere along the line, a child had actually thrown him out of a window. Um, that was one of his background stories. Now, I'm not sure how high the window was, but even if it was a low window, um, the child was um, not treating Juice properly. So he had a lot of issues with humans. And um, he also, he had, um, he used to be, um, have redirected aggression, but with sounds outside. So he was very fearful of different sounds um, outside. So very jumpy, very nervous cat. And he also didn't like to be um, petted very often. So it's what we call, as you know, um, low petting aggression. So some cats um, want to be with us, but they just get too overstimulated. And then they don't know what to do with that emotion. And they just lash out at you. So he had several things going on. Um, and really, I just had to meet him to, to try and figure out what type of aggression he was showing. And once I figured that out, then we could put a plan of action together. And um, and it was the vet because he was kept in the in the cage at the vets for at least six months because nobody could get anywhere near him. Um, they didn't want to take him back to the rescue because of all the trouble with putting him with um, homes that weren't suitable. And um, and yeah, and uh, the vet just didn't want to euthanize him. So eventually, Sylvia decided to take him home and then realized that she was out of her depth and then called me in to work with both of them. But at the end of the day, the environment wasn't right for Juice because um, the two vets that lived in the house were just away for too long, about 12 hours every day, where he was just on his own. And, um, and he was also reacting terribly to um, where the flat was situated with lots of noise outside, um, a car park directly outside, so lots of car noises. And... Um, yeah, and eventually um, it took about nine months before we found the right home for him. But that was quite a difficult, a difficult case. But we made great progress before um, he went to his new home. Yeah, it's hard, and, and it's, it's. I, I hate those cases where the environment, you know, you you just you can only, as you said before, change so many things in in a cat's environment yeah. if the people aren't aren't willing or able to make the changes that that the cat needs. And rehoming is ultimately the the best thing for everyone. Those are those are hard. It's 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 hard, but at the same time rewarding. Then when you see the cat in its new environment and thriving, so. So that's yeah, good. I mean, I think both there's two stories that are in the book where both of them were rehoming situations. And I put them in the book to show um, really because I come across that a lot where I'm just dealing with a case where the, the, the no matter what we do, the environment just isn't right. And I know that if we put the cat in the right environment, then things are going to change for for the cat. But um, so I just decided to put two stories in the book that showed exactly um, what we went through with the um, behavior behavior consultation, everything that we put into place, and then how we needed to actually change the territory before we saw changes in the cat, you know, in the cat. So that's mm -hmm. why I put those two in. Yeah. And another part of the book that I really liked was you, you spent a lot of time talking about cat communication and about how cats absorb our energy. Talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah, um, well, I think that cats just perceive um, what we give out to them and it can change um, their whole demeanour around us. And I, I especially come across that when I'm grooming cats because um, I'm a cat groomer as well and I have to deal with some difficult cases. And um, I find, uh, I mean, I, I use David Till's music for cats on my grooming sessions because not only does it relax the cats, but it also relaxes the humans. And if, if the cats are perceiving um, humans to be calm, then they relax with us as well. So um, they definitely pick up on our energies. And so it was good to speak to people that talk about um, the communications, but also with the energy and mindfulness as well. Yeah, and that's so true. And I think that's that's part of what we find in, in some cats' environments is that the energy just is, is not something that they can handle on a level of stress or anxiety for yeah, them. Yeah, I mean, it can definitely add to um, stress. I mean, grooming is not easy when you're grooming a cat that's already got um, a perceived idea of what the groom is going to be like but anything that can relax the humans around humans around them is going to change the way we handle the cat and obviously and and change their perception mm -hmm. one of the things i always tell my clients is i want you to have a positive view of the outcome of the situation you know you're afraid your cat's going to keep repeating these bad behaviors but if you keep holding those thoughts of fear and those images of the cat doing the thing you don't want it to do, then that's what's going to happen. <laughs> and, yeah, that's true. I mean, they're, they're such uh, complex creatures. There's so much to talk about with them. But, um, I mean, cats also have a, a learned behavior as well. I don't know if you, you covered the um, ever come across that, but they learn certain behaviors to get um, to get a desired action that they want. So with some cats, when I'm dealing with um, the, the phobias around grooming, um, it's not so much that, that they're fearful of, of the groom or something bad has happened in the past. They've just learned that if they, if they hiss or just kind of whack the hand away or, or the comb away, then, the, then um, their guardian just stops. So it's like a learned behavior as well. We see that. We, we see that in shelters a lot too, that okay. cat comes in and is stressed and, and will learn that if it hisses or, you know, spats that yeah. people will back up and leave it alone. And so, you know, there's that fine line and working with those cats that are stressed on, okay, I'm, I'm going to push your boundaries a little bit, but you know, I obviously don't want to disrespect their, their boundaries when they're yeah. stressed. And so it is, it is important to, push them a little bit so that you can get them beyond their learned behaviors. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like small challenges because um, I, I mentioned one cat in the book um, called Nelly, and um, she was a cat who actually I saw in a territory that I thought was the wrong territory for her, and this was on a grooming um, consultation. And um, she was, I think she was just in a household with lots of other cats, but there was also some dogs there as well. So she lived behind the fridge and I just thought that this was a really, really terrible situation. And so I asked um, my grooming client if she would be willing to um, allow me to find another home for Nellie. And my friend just stepped up and said that she would love her. But Nellie was just terrified of everything. And... Um, I really speak about in the book, just kind of pushing her boundaries just a little bit to try and get her to understand that there was nothing to fear with with um, my friend. And eventually, 
um, what happened is that um, my friend never knew where Nelly was every night. Um, she'd she'd hide somewhere else, find a new hiding place, or she'd come out at night to feed only. So nobody really saw her. And one day my friend called me when Nelly was up on top of the um, the bookcase and she could just see her like squashed right against the wall. And so I just said to her, look, you have to go out and buy a ladder. You have to climb up the ladder. There's nowhere else for Nelly to go. And she has to understand that you're really not a threat to her and um so my friend went out and she brought the ladder and she climbed up the ladder obviously Nelly was backing up as far as possible and what she did was just um lay some food down where Nelly started sniffing the food and then she just gently laid her hand out so Nelly could smell her hand and then bang she just headbutted her hand and that oh. was it yeah, I mean, she's still a nervous cat, but it took that tiny challenge to just kind of make her like get across that fear boundary that she had. So that was a lovely story that I put in the book as well. Yeah, and that's that's what's and we see a lot of that in the shelter where they're just so stressed out. But then as soon as you as soon as you make that first contact, then they're like, oh, oh thank God, there you are. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And I think a lot of cats as well. I mean, with some cats that are in shelters, um, I don't know if you do that over there, but over here with a lot of cats that, that are really struggling in the rehoming centre, they tend to go to fosters um, and there'd be fosters that don't have any other cats. So, so there'd be fosters particularly that will only have one cat at a time because the cat will, will um, surely thrive when if it's out of a rescue situation. Yeah, yeah. We, the the world is... Yeah, we do. We, then there's never enough. We can always use more fosters. You, you know, there's there's never enough, sadly. Right. And, and, you know, in, in the United States, uh, shelter euthanasia is still the number one cause of death in cats. Yeah. It must be heartbreaking so, for you guys, really. It, I don't really see that I have to deal with that over here. So it's yeah. not so common. It is. It's 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 heartbreaking, and it's then it's why I set up my my behavior business yeah. as a as a nonprofit was because I I didn't want to deny help. I wanted to keep as many cats in the home as possible because yeah. our our shelters are overcrowded. Your, did you set your a practice up as a charity? Did yes. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, it is. And your book has so many amazing stories in it i mean it 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 covers a lot of of really great information and you ask such good key questions to these experts that you interview and it, it's just a good comprehensive book that i think every cat owner needs to have on their shelf so and again the book is let's talk about cats by anita kelsey so if you listeners out there find the book and and uh, and get that and read it and put it on your shelf it's a good good organized book so you know read it cover to cover i'd recommend or use it as a resource as as you need it so thanks for joining us today thank you so much it's, it's been my pleasure thank you yeah thanks and for those of you listening um be sure to find us on facebook it's cat behavior solutions and cat talk radio Follow us on Facebook and email me any other episode topics that you can think of. Just molly at cattalkradio.com. And until next time, keep calm and purr on. You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. 
Through this educational radio show, behavior consultations, seminars, and articles, Cat Behavior Solutions intercepts cat behavior problems in the home, reducing the number of cats who are surrendered to shelters. Make a donation at catbehaviorsolutions.com. That's catbehaviorsolutions.com. Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat. Toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend.